Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. Welcome back to another episode of the Deal Deep Dive segment on the Westside Investors Network podcast. I'm your host, Trent Werner. In this segment, our featured guests will share their unique stories on a specific deal they've invested in. We will dive deep into finding the deal, financing the deal, writing an offer, and the due diligence. Do us a solid and smash that subscribe button, leave us a rating, and share this episode. And now, let's dive deep. Welcome back to the Westside Investors Network podcast. I am your host, Trent Werner. On today's Deal Deep Dive episode, we are joined by Charles Carrillo. Charles is the managing partner at Harborside Partners, a real estate syndication firm and has been actively investing in multifamily and commercial real estate since 2006. Since 2006, Harborside Partners has invested in over $200 million worth of investment real estate. Charles is also the host of the Global Investors Podcast, where he interviews professionals about investing in U.S. real estate. Now let's welcome Charles Carrillo. All right, Charles, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm super excited to get into our deal, but before we do that, I'd love for you to introduce yourself, talk about Harborside Partners a little bit, and where the idea for Harborside came from. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Trent. I've been investing in multifamily real estate since 2006, and I grew up in a family. My dad has been a multifamily investor since 1984. So getting out of college, I bought a three-family, which now we call house hacking. There wasn't a name for it back then. A couple of years later, I bought another three-family. Then I graduated into a mixed-use commercial property, which we're talking about today, which was a very interesting deal back in the end of, I think it was 2009, 2010. I moved to Florida in 2012. And for those six years I owned those properties, I was self-managing them. So I collected all the rent. I put together all the handymen to go over there and do things. I fixed a lot of stuff myself. Not the best use of time, but it was a very good learning experience. Fast forward 10 years later, I sold those properties after having third-party management on them for about 10 years. And since being in Florida, let's see here, I got involved with larger properties and mainly syndications around 2017, 2018. And so we've been involved in that space since then. And that's really what we focus on is working with larger apartment complexes. I'm based in South Florida. So larger apartment complexes, mainly around in the Southeast United States. So a few markets in particular where we have boots on the ground, but that's my investing career in a nutshell. I love it. Well, and that's not the entirety of your investing career. According to the verbiage that I read and the documents that I read, you also invest in things outside of real estate. Right. Yeah. Real estate's my favorite. I love real estate. I really understand it. And I invest mainly in multifamily because it's very easy to... It's wonder why it's a tried and true investment asset class. But I invest in other asset classes within commercial real estate, let's say. So self-storage, mobile home parks. And then I also do some angel investing, which is I've done them single one by one. But more recently, I've been involved with investing in funds. So I've invested like into specific companies one by one, probably I think six or seven times. And now I've invested into a couple angel funds, which are 
a whole nother asset class. And it's great because you're getting more experience. It's just, I see what investors being raising money from investors in the syndication space and putting it into multifamily when you're going into a different, a whole different asset class and you kind of see how it is from the other side for an asset class that you don't understand as much as real estate, which I would say multifamily, I'm very well seasoned in. And so it's something very interesting to see how that asset class operates and how the differences between real estate syndications and how operators deal with investors and explain the investments versus where real estate, which is obviously a lot safer of an asset class, right? And we're telling investors different things about the risk profile, but angel investing is extremely risky. So it's almost like gambling. So it's a little different to see how those operators actually run those deals. Very nice. Very nice. And then you briefly touched on the small multifamily properties that you had and then sold before you know all the success that you've had in the last 10 years. How did you know that you wanted to go from the small multifamily to a mixed-use commercial, which mm. we're going to get into? And the reason I ask this is because a lot of people, I think, get stuck after one, maybe two properties, whether they're small multi or single family. And it's hard for a lot of people to get past that hurdle and go into a larger multifamily, mixed-use commercial, whatever it may be. How did you get over that hurdle going from the small multi to a mixed-use? So there's two parts to this. Number one is that I was looking, I had an office for my business at that point, and I was looking for a property where it would have an office in it. So in this property, there was like a 400 square foot office, which was the commercial portion of that building. So that was a win. The other thing too is during the whole global financial crisis, that it was a, you could not get loans on any like the only thing that banks were lending on were one to four unit properties, and that was people on FHA. So you could buy properties. I bought properties at the end of 2008, and they were still lending on it on residential because there's a resale for it. And the resale was, you know, going to so you could flip properties back then if you bought them correctly, and there was a market to sell them to people with jobs could get FHA mortgages as first-time home buyers or whatever, second home, and they could move into them. The thing though is with the lending environment for five plus units, commercial property, five plus apartment buildings, unit apartment buildings and commercial properties was dead. I mean, it wasn't existent. I mean, it's nothing like it is today or it has been. I mean, even today with people saying stuff's tightening up, it was nothing like that. And banks knew it that were had the properties on their books they were trying to get 30 cents on the dollar. You know what I mean? And they're having trouble doing that. So you could go in there and if you had cash or you actually had a private money lender or something, you could go in there. But even community banks, I mean, it just is, there was nothing. You know what I mean? They didn't want any part of anything because they didn't know how deep it was going to be. And there's not a resale for that. They had a problem. If they're the only one lending on it and you do all this work to it, I mean, we're, you know, they don't want to keep on their books forever. Right. So, you know what I mean? What do you do with it? We're, whereas when we were flipping properties back then, just like single family houses around the same time, you could get hard money lenders to lend because they're, the option at the end of it was that it just has to be for FHA. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you know the government back lending, banks would lend with that. But if it wasn't, I mean, they were very worried about getting stuff off their books. They didn't want to get caught with what just happened, obviously, you know, a year or two before. Right. So that's what led you into the deal that we're talking about today. Yeah. Obviously, it sounds like it was a more difficult lending environment at that time. 
for this type of property. Can you just explain what this property is made up, you know, unit mix, obviously there was an office and then where it was located and how you acquired it. Yeah. So my first, I'm just going to be, if anybody's on, I'm just looking down at a bunch of notes I have for this. So the thing is, so this property was, I was looking to purchase and I purchased this property at the end, I think it was December, 2009. So we're literally right at the trough, which I mean, just what it is, there's no perfect planning there. So it's just how it worked out. And this was a five unit property. And these properties that I initially bought from 06 to 2012 were based in a little town outside of Hartford, Connecticut, and our little city outside of Hartford, Connecticut called New Britain, where I was buying originally and where my dad had bought properties. And I grew up about 15 minutes from there. This one deal here was just to give you a little background on what it was. It's five units. It's got one commercial office unit, and it was about 400 square feet with a half bath. And then it had four residential units above it, above it and behind next to it, attached to it. And I would say the whole property was probably 36, 3,800 square feet. And so the office was a very minor portion. It was like 5%, maybe 7%. And that was interesting too, when lender, when I went, because I bought this cash and did all the renovations cash. But when I talked to lenders afterwards, when lending started opening up, they were like, we'll lend, but it has to be, if there's any commercial, it has to be less than like, they have like these parameters, like 10 or 15% of the overall square footage. That's how I know the numbers because going to get lending afterwards or trying to, let's just say, these are the parameters when it started opening up of what happened. But so, you know, this property right above the office, there was a studio apartment. And then behind the office, there was on the first floor, there's a three bedroom, then above that three bedroom, and then an apartment, like a attic apartment, like two, one, something like that apartment, small, you know? So they had, you know, these are older properties. This thing was built in like 1900 and the office and studio part that was connected to it was built in like the sixties. So it was an interesting building and, you know, stuff that can't be zoned in anytime after that. It was just, they have much tighter now, but so it was an interesting property, which made it a little difficult for doing rent comps, but I shot them low on the rent comps and kind of when I was doing my numbers, I mean, a deal like this, you can't really lose on. So I was 25 years old at the time. I had another online business that was generating a lot of profit for me. So I had this cash, which put me in a very interesting position to do this. So what I did was this property is sold in 2007 for $256,000. Okay. In 2009, it was on the market for $100,000. Okay. It was on the MLS. I remember it's like, I still have, I have it printed somewhere, but like the MLS listing for it. But it was literally when I contacted them, it had been on the market for 125 days or something. You know what I mean? You're going into almost a half year. This thing is just sitting there. No one wants to buy it because the only thing you can do with it is just renovate it and rent it, right? You can't do a flip on it because there's no one to buy it with financing. So I offered $70,000 on this property cash. They actually came back to me and said they had another offer. So I did best and final at 72.5 and I got the property. I think I closed like two or three weeks later and I started, it was completely vacant. It was obviously we're in the middle of winter up north. So getting heat on, it was winterized. So getting heat on, getting water on. And one of the major problems with this property was that it had five different porches on the properties, right? That needed to be replaced. And back then it cost me just over $20,000. So today it probably cost like 35,000. It was very unsafe just to walk on the porches. So I had a contractor. He did that within like two or three weeks. He had two crews, two framers that came in that did that. And then I had another handyman that was working through all the units. 
he did the office first so I could move into there. And then he did the other units little by little, starting with the bigger ones, like the three bedrooms went first. So we get those rented first and kind of working, you know, all through that. And, you know, how we did my rent comps, because these are awkward units, right? Older properties, you know, especially like in the Northeast and other parts of the United States that have these properties, every unit's a little different. You know what I mean? There's not like, you know, it was those classic 1980s built property and everything was up the code. It was very weird. People put apartments everywhere they could and they got approved back then because people needed housing. So after going through the whole property, I think I spent about 90 days. I would say it was 90 days, no more than 120 days of getting it renovated and fully rented. So I started on the small ones and went up to the better ones. You know, it just was, I had an inspection on it, but it was kind of worthless. So it was just to see if there was anything going on with it. And they just kind of told me it was just for my own peace of mind. I was already in there with no inspections. You know what I mean? You're buying an REO from a bank. It's you buy it as it is. So, but just, I had an idea of what was going on with it, but yeah, I got to that point and closed on it. And then the whole renovation process started, which was, was a lot of work. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through off-site professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503 446 3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. Uptown Syndication is now offering a syndication coaching program for you to take your real estate portfolio to the next level. This is your opportunity to have experienced syndicators, AJ and Chris Shepard, coach you on your way to controlling your real estate investing future. Our coaching program will provide you with the tools and framework needed to begin syndicating real estate in your target market. Go to uptownsyndication.com today to learn more. So, because you said you got it renovated and fully occupied in, would you say, 120 days after closing? Yeah, I would say, yeah, except for one unit, probably 90 days. And I probably had one month left on the other one because I was finishing that one up top. So, in the wintertime, up north, when it's cold, I'm assuming it's probably snow everywhere. Yeah. You're renovating five units in four months, we'll call it, which is impressive to say the least. What kind of renovations needed to be done aside from, you know, the structural stuff on the outside, but what interior, what were you doing? So it was a lot of, you know, in the office, we were pulling up a lot. They had some kind of like makeshift barbershop in there. So pulling up a lot of floor, you know, we went through, I had the guy, I had a crew, a couple guys that came in that did the interior stuff and they were doing everything from pulling up all old floors. I had a bathroom that was, had nothing in it in the office. So I had to build out the whole bathroom. So they built out that bathroom. And then I had a, so one day or two days, I had a, after everything was kind of pulled out, what I did was we had, you know, new rugs put in where they're supposed to be. I think I had to put like five or six rugs in the whole property per room, you know, rooms of rugs. We were going through, there was, you know, there's water issues in, not on the ceiling so much, but you could see where there was pipes that had burst before or something like this. So going through, fixing it, that wasn't really that much of an issue. And it was putting in new floors, putting in some new vinyl tiles through places. And then just kind of getting that all prepped. There was a lot of, you know, doing a lot of electrical switching outlets over. One good thing with this property was that the person that owned it before had pulled new wires through the whole property and upgrade electrical, which was probably 
it's probably thirty thousand plus dollars back then. So half of what I bought the property for was just in the electrical, really. So that was one thing that was really nice because it was one issue you don't have to deal with, and the insurance companies love that. And so that was really the main thing. There wasn't too much landscaping on the outside. Obviously, it didn't really matter during the winter. But in the interior, going through each unit, there was minor stuff. It was just very dirty. Some units were already kind of done, and they had new tub surrounds and stuff like that already in there. And then some other ones, you know, they just needed to go in there and like put new vanities in the bathrooms, which we would pick up at Home Depot for like 18 inch ones for like 50 bucks back then. And especially buy a whole bunch of those. And, you know, we were going through and doing stuff like that. And all the mechanicals worked. I ended up switching them all or replacing them in the next two or three years. But I didn't have any issues initially with any of that stuff, which was great. And it was really just getting the heat on because... The main thing is you had to move all these renovations through pretty fast because you know you're spending three four hundred dollars a month to heat the place, right? And no one turns off any heat, of course, and all that stuff. So it's like you know workers. So it's just one of those things where you know it's just like you just have to do it as fast as possible. You know what I mean? And get someone in there. And then you know since I didn't have debt on the property, it was literally getting the first renter in there really covered, you know, taxes and insurance on it. And then after that, you were kind of not bleeding money anymore. And then you're really just kind of moving forward and getting units done one by one and doing the under aim and everything like that. But a lot of it was cleaning. You know what I mean? I had people come in there and it was like professional carpet cleaning crew come in, clean all the floors. I had a couple of cleaning girls that came in and prepped all the units, got them all nice and clean, ready for tenants. That was kind of the last part of it. But it's a lot of work. I mean, it was a lot of work and the great thing was that being in the office down below, I was like on site or I was on site. So it was easy to manage general contractors or handymen that I had coming on on site. And it was easy to pay them and it was easy to take care of all that. You bought it for 72000 and some change. Do you remember how much money you put in for renovations? Putting somewhere around, I would say the initially, like in the first, in that first three or four months, I would say it's somewhere around thirty. To thirty less than thirty five thousand, so I was probably out the door around a hundred thousand dollars to one hundred and five. Okay, and then there's, so there's you were using the office, and then there's four residential units. Yeah. Do you remember what gross rents were at the time in that first year once you got yeah. it all occupied? It's probably somewhere around three thousand dollars, three thousand so, dollars a month without the office being there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just. Based on those numbers alone, cash on cash return was pretty darn good. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah, you can, <laughs> I mean, you couldn't beat it. But then there's a silver lining to everything because I remember I had a bank that I'd worked with for not like getting lending from, but I had a relationship for many years and I brought them to the property. And after it was renovated and rented, and you know, people they just kept on talking about how great the porches were. See, people did these porches you could like drive a car on, they were so well done. Yeah. And they offered, the refinancing on it, they said would be, they could give me $20,000. That's the lending environment. That's why, you know, that's what it is. When there's no money, that's where the deals are. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I mean, that's what it was. I mean, like they wouldn't even risk putting out my renovations, not even the property purchase. And when they look back on it, because obviously they pulled the card on this. I mean, they were going to lend on what it sold, you know, two years prior less than probably 5% of what it sold for. That would be their loan to value from two years ago. And from what I did, I mean, loan to cost on what it is, they wanted to put in, that was like 18% or something. You know what I mean? So 
it's a pretty crazy going through that again and just thinking about it compared to where we are today and yeah. where we've been over the last two years. But it's all about lending with real estate because that's a huge portion of anybody's purchase is the lending, the debt. And if that tight, you know, that tightens up, and even if it tightens up a little bit, I mean, it won't be right away, but it happens pretty quickly that you feel it. I think we're kind of in the middle of yeah. it right now with where we're at, but that's a topic for another time. So you held onto this property and I'm assuming you never got financing. You never refinanced it when you owned it or did you end up down the I, road? I refinanced it because I sold this property in 2022 with a portfolio, all my other properties and one to one an investor out of New York City. And I refinanced it in 2019. Okay. So I refinanced in 2019. And then at the end of 2021, it's kind of like a blessing because I sold it in the beginning of 2022. But 2021, my property manager was like, listen, like I'm selling my management company and you know, I'm getting rid of smaller accounts in so many words. So I was cut at the beginning of 2022. So I found new management while I was selling it which was kind of a nightmare, but was able to sell it with other properties in a portfolio. That's kind of how it worked. But refinancing in 2019 offered me like three plus years or three years of the ability to use that equity. And I was able to refinance it for, I think I pulled out like, it was like 120 or something like that. So I, I pulled out more than I probably what I had put into the property or most of what I put into the property at that point in time. So it was good. It was great. I mean, you're able to use that. That's the whole powerful part about it. It's great having the paid off properties and stuff like this. But the main thing is that I was able to pull money out of that property and I was able to invest it into apartment complexes in Florida. And that did really well. You know what I mean? That did much oh, yeah. better than owning property in 2019 in central Connecticut. So it was something that when you refinance out, and don't get like aggressive with it. And the bank will make sure you don't get aggressive with it when they oh, yeah. say it's 65% loan of value or 70% loan of value back then, which is it's probably tightening up more than that now. But it's just something that now you can utilize that in investing. And the property was fine that I bought and it was a great deal. But the thing though was that the properties I invested into had much better returns over the a shorter period of time. So that's the whole thing is you're able to access that capital and redeploy it. And then when you look back at when I sold them, oh, well, I didn't get the top price. I, you know, everybody thinks that when they're selling a property. But then you look back on it, you're like, well, I was able to utilize this like a bank account, you know what I mean, for investing to other properties, which, you know what I mean, you have to work that return kind of into your returns for the property that you're selling. So it's very interesting. I mean, the financing is great. And I understand how people, when they pay off properties and it's fantastic, but there's also in the beginning, you know, you can take a little leverage on and redeploy it into good properties and you'll do well. Because obviously the cash on cash rate on the Connecticut mixed use was outstanding. When you leveraged that and then put it into the Florida apartments, did you ever think about the cash on cash might not be as great, but you know, how did you analyze that decision to go leverage and buy something that maybe didn't have the same cash on cash return as the Connecticut place paid off? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So it probably like that property, you know, it's cash, the cash flow, it probably went to making from making, you know, I don't know, netting out 18 or $1,900 a month, you know what I mean? After everything to netting out like two or 300, you know what I mean? You know, when you're talking about all, you know, I'm like big reserve person, all this stuff, not, you know what I mean? It was probably bringing in six or 700, but you know, just like I'm putting a bunch in the reserves because I don't want to have to like fund the property down the road. So, and you had a property man, I had a property manager at that point. So like, I didn't want to cut, you know, tie their hands if stuff has to be fixed. You know what I mean? So 
The thing is that when I saw that, I kind of figured out exactly what I had put in fully into the property over the years. And it was probably like 125, 130, you know, after doing everything, I put a roof on the property, all this kind of stuff. So getting back the majority, if not all that money, my return on investment was very high at that point because I'd got all my capital back out of the property. And also for all those years, you know, I was pulling out like, you know, thousand plus dollars a month, you know what I mean? And from the property and pretty much was very minimally taxed because of the depreciation on the property. Mm -hmm. So it was, I mean, the thing cash flowed for many years. So I probably at the time of refinancing, I probably gotten the majority of my money back out of the property in just cash flow. So I just saw it as a way of accessing, you know, the equity in that property and utilizing it with different investments, which spreads your risk. You know what I mean? If you have issues at one property, you know, now you're spreading your risk over other properties and other markets. So, Absolutely. Well, and that's kind of what I was hoping you would say, because it seems, <laughs> I mean, we were talking about going from getting stuck on the first couple of properties and making that jump to either continuing to buy the same type of property or, you know, diversifying your asset class. But for you, it was diversifying not only the market, but the asset class in a sense, mm-hmm. and being able to leverage and use that leverage to grow your portfolio, which I yeah. think is the most powerful part of real estate personally. And right. I think a lot of people, like you said, have a goal of paying off a property when in reality, that's a lot of paper equity that's sitting there and not being used to yeah. grow your portfolio. So that's exactly what I was hoping you'd say. <laughs> Yeah. If you're in that growing, I was talking to a mentor and like years back and he would say, he's like, in the beginning of your real estate investing career, you can, you know, you can push the leverage a little bit more, but as you start becoming more seasoned, you're going to pull that leverage down more. You know what I mean? Because I think, you know, I have one older partner of mine that I've done some deals with and he would just, he'd have small, like these, you know, like eight, 12 unit complexes. And he would literally, he would refinance them every five to 10 years very low loan to value, 30, 35%, 40%, something like this. So it's like, you know, there's no issues with it ever paying it. And so every five or so years, he just cashes out a bunch of money and refinances. No matter what the interest rates are, he can use that and now investing it, but it doesn't affect what he's doing. You know what I mean? And that's like a great way of going about it because it just keeps you, you know, it just keeps you accessing a lot of that equity and deploying it into other assets, but also into different markets. And just like you, you know, we we're talking about previously, just kind of like spreading that risk over your portfolio so that you're getting cash flow from multiple streams, you know? Absolutely. I had someone explain it to me one time where you, when you first start, you're in the accumulation phase, which is when you can kind of leverage a little bit more aggressively. And then you're in the preservation phase, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, you're just kind of sitting on what you want to do, buying a deal here or there, if, as long as everything's working out right. And then after that, you're in the, I'm going to go vacation and Bora Bora phase. So <laughs> Charles, those were all my questions. I really appreciate you rolling through this deal. And I mean, like I said in the intro, which people will hear at the beginning of this, but you know, your Harborside Partners has done a ton of deals, invested in a ton of properties. And it all started with two triplexes and a mixed use, you know? So it's fun to see where your growth has gone over these last 10, 12 years. And I'm excited to see where you keep going. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Trent, for having me on. It's great to talk about deals and rehatch this one. Awesome. Well, thanks again for your time, Charles. I hope you have a great one. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. 
If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.